The Podcast Republic app wants to make it easy for you to find your favorite podcasts. I just think everyone who wants to listen to podcasts should be able to favorite their favorite podcasts and listen to them instantly on their favorite devices. They don't even want to make you pay for the privilege of getting your favorite shows. I firmly believe this should be free to all citizens of the world at large. They have a four and a half star rating with 70,000 reviews on the Google Play Store. But why trust them? They don't sound like this. Podcast Republic app is available for free on the Google Play Store. Quick reminder here, folks, want to do it right at the top of the show. We have a crazy dumb thing on offer for the month of February because it's our birth month and it is our favorite holiday on the show, February. We have decided that if we go up to the $80 tier on our Patreon page, that's a group support level. That's not individual donations. No one has to donate $80. But if you want to, hey. There is an $88 We'll figure out some extra special things if you're like, I'll give you 80 bucks personally. There's an $88 tier. It exists already. You can hit it if you really want to go buck wild. But we are currently, as of the time of this recording, at $54 a month. If we get to 80 in the month of February, we will not only do our special commentary track for all patreon supporters no matter if you pledge two dollars or a hundred dollars everybody gets it we are going to do a power hour for the first hour of the movie so it should be pretty stupid in a good (laughs) way i hope (laughs) so uh jump over to patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s and find your pledge level today anybody who pledges at the five dollar level instantly gets three bonus episodes the great muppet caper who framed roger rabbit and top gun So if you want to hear those episodes, five bucks a month, you get them all immediately. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate your support. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is a man who also celebrates his birthday this month. Ooh, ooh. And who knows that if you're going to bust out of prison, your best bet is probably not Flock of Seagulls John Cryer, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Leno, but I will say, loved the outfit. I had a feeling you were going to like all the outfits in this movie. Not so. all. John Cryer's opening outfit I really liked because it had great shoes. And then Lex Luthor wore a coat later that I liked, but it's hit or miss. I find Superman's out costume to be okay. Well, it's February, and we watched... Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. So you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your terrible special effects. I'm scared about your terrible special effects. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott. Cream of the crop. Oh, 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 oh yeah. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. So, Canonuary extends one additional week, uh, not necessarily on purpose, but. Uh, Hi, welcome to Dissecting the Canon. <laughs> yeah, this is the Canon Films podcast, where every other week we talk about a Canon film. No, just these last three episodes. Uh, this is the 1987, my birth year. Uh, Fourth sequel that nobody wanted from well, Superman. Third sequel. Sorry, yes. Fourth installment, not third, fourth sequel. Thank you. Uh, fourth installment of Superman that absolutely nobody asked for. The quest and for a in- plot. <laughs> Inexplicably, they get back 
Superman, Lois Lane, I think Jimmy Olsen, and Gene Hackman as Lex Luthor, who was in one, two, skipped three in favor of Richard Pryor. Stay tuned, by the way. That'll be an episode in the future. I am sure of it. And then uh, hop back in here on part four. Yeah, it's uh, it is a filmed. It is people on film. <laughs> so I was uh, looking some stuff up about this movie, and we'll get into it in a second. I, I know we do a lot of digressions lately, but it, I feel like it helps set things up. But I had YouTube suggest a video for me that was um, Christopher Reeve on Entertainment Tonight at the time this was released, so back in the 80s. And he's like talking about the movie. And there were two things in it that stuck out to me that was like instantaneously like, oh, no, big red flag. The first was he went on at length about how on the first couple movies, he like would occasionally offer suggestions. But for this movie, he was giving them ideas at the script stage and explaining like what he thought Superman story credit. Yes. So he came up with this idea and then someone else wrote it. But he had serious input from the jump on how this movie would take shape. The second one is. He told a story of going to Gene Hackman's trailer on the first movie and being like, hey, Mr. Hackman, so nice to meet you. Like, what was it that made you want to do this movie? And Gene Hackman's initial response was, you mean other than the $2 million check? And I was like, oh, man, if that's how he was feeling about Superman 1, what on earth brought him back for Superman 4? Because there's no way he was getting $2 bucks for this bad boy. They're lucky. They probably spent $2 million overall on this movie. It actually is listed as a $17 million budget, which is astounding to me. Don't know where it went, other than cocaine. uh, up somebody's nose. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, start off Superman 4. We are padding this runtime with a credit sequence to start. We have the full Superman theme. this is so good. It's the only good part of this movie is the Superman theme by John Williams. And they are like, hey, we're going to just let it play. Hey, hey, hey. We got a lot of credits, so let's just hear the whole song. Hey, can you do an uh, EP remix, John? Cool. Thanks, Johnny boy. We just we just want to make this the longest version of your song that's played unbroken with nothing but words on top of it in the history of your entire career. So it's a spaceship. There's a Russian cosmonaut outside the spaceship. He I gets- genuinely, for a second, thought I like got a bad rip of this. I was like, oh, did I have to, did I just sit through five minutes of, of, of you know, opening to get a bad dub and I have to go find a better one? <laughs> well, there's Russian cosmonaut out there. The Russian cosmonaut gets knocked off the ship. Super, oh, no, he's going to die. Superman shows up, saves him, drags him back to the ship, does a nice little, like, quippy, quippy, funny line, pushes him back inside and shuts the door. Um, Glad this comes up later, and it's definitely important to the film. Yeah, no, super duper important, this this whole space interlude. They spend so much time in space in this movie, and I think it's just because they were like, well, it's just a black box room that we have to you know, put space in later, so it's really cheap to film in space. We paid for a whole day. We're going to shove as much movie in this box as we can. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, really quick... I'm not a huge fan of Superman as a character. I just don't nope. find him that interesting. Boring. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like the only stories I think that are interesting to tell with Superman are ones where he's been on Earth for a long time and the people that he loves are like all dying around him. Otherwise, it's just like a literal Superman who's impervious to everything, more or less. But there's a really great limited comic run that a friend of mine who 
had been ambivalent about Superman and read this and was like, you got to check this out. It's called Superman Red Sun, and it posits that Superman gets launched from Krypton a couple hours later than his actual origin story or his canonical origin story. And so instead of landing in Kansas, he lands in the middle of Russia. And so he becomes like an agent of Cold War era Russia and is like the ultimate weapon in Russia taking over the whole world. And the United States is this like little Is that New 52? No, it's like its own little. It was like a little. It's just like uh, tr- tr- one single trade paperback. Oh, it's like one he, one like story. That. That's so. So I would. That's so much more interesting. It is, and the uh, the coolest part about it is Lex Luthor is part of it, but he's an American and he's fighting back against Russian Superman. And so there's this like weird thing where, as an American reader of the book, you're kind of inclined to root for the United States on like even like a little kernel of a level. And the other thing is Lex Luthor is basically saying, look, you're subjugating the whole world into slavery. Basically you turn them into these like Superman automaton people. That's not free will. People deserve free will. And so that's where the fight comes in. And I really, really dug this, this trade paperback. It's again, it's called Superman red sun. I highly recommend it out there to anybody to, to check out. And it's such a small amount of thing. It's, you know, it's, you don't have to read a billion issues of a comic, but anyway, the Russian cosmonauts here, I was like, oh man, I wish I was watching Superman Red Sun because that would be so much more interesting than the story. <laughs> Although I don't think it was written at the time. Yeah, probably not. Although that does remind me, tangent, um, we, growing up, we always, we would buy cheap random comics that were like clearly supposed to be famous comics, but not quite, they were like the mockbusters that they put out now to like confuse grandparents. I don't know what you're talking about. You never, we had a, a bunch of them. There was one that was like clearly supposed to be Fantastic Four, but it wasn't the Fantastic Four. I only ever remember buying comics at the used bookstore down, down the beach. The beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they would be like a random, four random comics. But I always thought they were just like the C team of Marvel, like dollar back issue kind of stuff. I remember the ones that were like, it's wondrous group of four people. <laughs> and there was one where they talked about like I remember reading it. They were like, "Do you remember the time when there was when when the when the Ruskies beat us to the comet and they turned into superheroes instead?" And like ta- there was a few panels about that. So maybe that was just like a thing in the eighties. Yeah, I think that Red Sun is a little bit later, but it's definitely an interesting idea to play with. You know, talking about the political world that you live in. Um, Anyway, this movie is not mention, good, guys. No, Superman actually speaks Russian here, and he it's part of him speaking a couple languages in this movie, which is kind of a weird, interesting thing that doesn't do anything for the story, but just exists. I think it's just to show that, like, he's not an American hero. Like, yeah, because like later when he goes to the UN, he's like, I don't represent us one country. And they're like, you'll need a delegate or a, a, a ba- you need a some- sponsor. Thank you. A sponsor. And every country raises their hand. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's not really American. He's just a superhero. Well, it's interesting, though, because, like, the Superman mythos is truth, justice, and the American way. Like, it's right in there. Oh, it is? Yeah, I mean, that's... I didn't... I don't know much of superhero. That might not be, like, the ultimate... uh, Some DC fan is screaming right now, but, like... Truth, Justice, and the American Way is absolutely a slogan associated with Superman. That may be movies or some bad television or something, but it's definitely a Superman slogan. So huh. he is definitely idealized American, but I, you are correct. Like, I think the point of it is to make him be a little more citizen of the worldy, given what happens in this movie. But so we go from speaking Russian 
in the in space to we're back in Smallville for like ten seconds. And uh, one of the interesting tidbits I saw on reading, doing some research of this is they the set from the original Superman was still available. Like they never knocked it down. And instead of flying people to Canada and filming it there, they built like a cheap knockoff version in uh, the UK just because they were like, we're filming in the cheapest area possible. So let's get this over with. It's the same reason why the UN is so obviously not the UN. And it's like one of the world's most recognizable buildings, I would say. Like, yeah. I, I I know I know what the UN building looks like. I would wager that a lot of people know what the UN building looks like. And when he's walking up to this, you're like, that's not the UN building. I know what the UN building looks like. I've seen the rescuers. Yeah. Um, and that was something that Christopher Reeves commented on is like, in the first movie, we would absolutely film that in Manhattan, but we were filming this as, you know, cheaply as possible and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, dude, you were signing up for a canon version of this. What did you think was going to happen? It's not like there's no evidence to see what the- they'd made dozens of movies at this point. Like it's, they were, a, yeah. The, yeah, they were a player. They made a lot of movies. You knew what they were getting into. It's just such a bad idea. And uh, it's, I don't know. See, the movie tries th- th- to be too many things. There's a version of this where it's like kind of a comedic take on Superman with the actual Superman people that I think works well, but it's not this, like this is a sloppy mess. That's what I mean. Like it's tries to be four different things and it doesn't accomplish any of them and just is like an incoherent gobbledygook mess. And there's so many scenes that just don't seem connected to anything. Like, so we, we go to Smallville and Superman gets this little crystal out of his pod. And it's, there's this voiceover from his mother. That's like, this crystal carries the last power of Krypton. Once it's gone, all of Krypton will be gone. But if it helps you survive, then nothing is lost. And, you know, it's not given in vain and da, 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 da. And so he takes this crystal and then he walks outside and a dude pulls up and is like, well, howdy, Mr. Uh, Kent, I, I'm excited to sell your farm. And he like refuses to sell the farm to a developer. And he's like, no, this should be a farm. Someone should be growing things here. And this guy goes, gives this like semi long speech about like, oh, you know, far- nobody wants to work a farm anymore. Blinking you, there'll be no farms left anywhere, Mr. Kent. And then he leaves and we never the, there's this doesn't come back. The crystal does, but like, why is this conversation part of this? Like, what is the point of it? That happened. There's so many things in this movie that are like, why did this have to happen that way? Like, right. and we'll uh, we'll get to. I have a thing with the crystal that I want to circle back to. So I'm saying like, it to you is was it not kryptonite? Is it not kryptonite? N- it's not. It looks like what I thought to be kryptonite, but it's not. <laughs> like as someone who has enough knowledge of superman to get by in a conversation that is what kryptonite looks like in my brain right i see a glowing green crystal and i'm like that's bad for you superman don't touch it yeah i was like you're gonna burn yourself or whatever happens i should have asked this before but have you seen any of the other christopher reeves superman movies if i have it's been a very long time yeah i think i've seen bits and pieces but even in this trash movie I can see why people were so attached to him as Superman. He's very charismatic and dreamy and hunky. Yeah. And I, and like, of course this is, you know, the bad version of this and you know, it's not a good Superman movie. It's not a good movie at all, but I, I see how people were so attached to him as Superman in watch, even in this crappy version, you can see why people liked him so much. Yeah. And it also plays into that whole, the Hollywood stereotype that glasses equals nerd. Cause like, he is objectively hot. Yeah. 
And then they're like, just part your hair the other way and put on glasses. And everyone thinks you're some schlubby idiot. And I was like, are, do you not have eyes? Are we not looking at the same person? So I've, I, your point is totally valid. And this is like, t- like kind of tied into that, but I've made the joke. I'm sure you've made the joke. Everybody's made the joke about how like his disguise being glasses is so stupid. I have a coworker who wears glasses and recently the other day she was in the kitchen, like waiting for her food to heat up and was cleaning her glasses. And she turned around and looked at me and I like, didn't recognize her for a second. And I was like, it's like, have I been wrong all this time about the Superman? Like I got it like quickly, but it was like, huh, you know, it might work for us for a split second there. I was like, maybe this is a valid disguise. It's enough to get you through a hallway, but it's not like you yeah, can't survive. Yeah. Like you're not going to like long. It's not a long term solution. Uh, the other thing that's really odd on this farm sequence is like he picks up a baseball and a baseball glove and is like, hey, like there's kind of a funny scene where he has, his crib is broken and Pa can't apparently told this guy that that young Clark had a bad dream and kicked it as a baby and it like splintered the wood and they're like, Oh, he was such a jokester. Like that's kind of a cute little thing. Oh yeah. I like then, that. Then there, he picks up this baseball and baseball glove and he's like, here, why don't you give this to your grandkids? Like, what are we doing? And then he's like, Oh, you know what? Here, grab this bat. Let me pitch you a couple. And then he throws one single pitch, which he whiffs on and he gets in his truck and drives away. And then Superman hits a baseball to the moon. And I just like, I don't, I, I know I knew that this movie ended on the moon. And I was like, oh my god, is there a sequence where he like uses this baseball later? No, that would have been great. I didn't even. Think I know, that. I know. If he had like, if he had been like almost KO'd and pick up a baseball and like beamed the bad guy in the back of the head or something, it would have been pretty wicked. But also, this old guy, it's like such a dangerous thing he's doing pitching to anyone, like not just Superman, anyone. When I was in high school, we did a scavenger hunt, and one of the things was like film yourself hitting a home run. So we went to this little league field and I kept doing the thing where you like the one I, across from I, high school. Yeah. So, uh, I used to play a little league there and I was doing that thing where you like throw the ball up and try to swing out. And I've said this before. I am a terrible baseball player. Like I, I was, I'm not good at it. So I keep trying to keep trying. None of my other friends want to take a, a whack at it. And they're like, I was like, all right, well, how about one of you like lob me one and maybe it'll be easier than me trying to like throw it up, get both hands on the bat and, and swing. And then my buddy's like, all right. And so he does like an underhand pitch. It was a, luckily like a softer baseball. A gym like class a, softball pitch. Yeah. It's just the, the soft little lob. And I think it was actually like a T-ball ball, which is softer than a real baseball. Mm-hmm. I hit this directly back at my friend's kid, <laughs> like in the kidney, like boom. And he went down like a bag of hammers and it's just like rolling around on the ground. And we were like, Oh no, this was a huge mistake. And so all I could think of was like, Superman's going to hit a line drive and literally decapitate this man. <laughs> He's going to go through his stomach. Yeah. Like in gonna be, Shaun of the dead. Yeah. It's, there's going to be like a hole in the middle of this man or something. And instead he hits the baseball into the sun. Yeah. And then that's the end of this. Why why Clark Kent needed to swing a baseball bat? I don't know. Padding that runtime. Same maybe. reason the damn Twilight vampires had to play baseball. But at least isn't that sequence? I've only I've seen two of those movies because uh, I know pod- of it chan- tangentially. <laughs> well, another podcast I listened to did a, a commentary track for it. Actually, they did one of their Twilight ones as a Power Hour, which is where I stole the idea from. Ah. Um, but. The, the, as I recall it, the baseball scene is like a way of them getting to show off all their vampire powers without them having to eat people because it's like Mormon vampires is the whole name of her book. 
Yeah, I think it's like they have to. They play. They only play baseball during thunderstorms, so no one hears them break the sound barrier. Yeah, they hit the ball really, really hard, and they run really, really fast. It's very stupid. Don't get me wrong; it's incredibly stupid. But the idea being, if you don't have them killing and eating people, there's not a lot of ways to show off vampire powers. So I guess baseball. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way you. You know, when I think, how do I show off vampire skills? Baseball is how I do it. Yeah, no, it's it's the perfect blend of speed, skill, That and scene in the Sandlot where Squint yeah. rips into someone's throat? Yeah. Wendy like Peppercorn goes right down. So we go to see Gene Hackman in, in a, a, like a quarry prison gang kind of deal. Yeah, what the hell kind of like nonsense is this? That's not how prisons worked in the 80s, I thought. Right. So John Cryer pulls up in this like ridiculous vehicle and... He lures two police or uh, prison guards into the car and then he starts like fiddling with his Walkman that's actually a remote control and he like captures them inside this thing and he drives it off a cliff. And I'm like so pumped, right? It's a canon movie. We're in a quarry. Like this car is jumping off a, qu- a quarry cliff. And it's going to explode. Yes. Yeah. So we get the car. The cops are drive stuck in it. It hits this thing. It flips over in the air. Boom, cut away before the money shot. Are you kidding me? You like literally see it touch the ground and it cuts right away to, to Gene Hackman being like, ha ha, success. And I was like, no, it wasn't. I didn't see anything. And then you see like some black smoke and the two detective or God, prison guards cr- climb up out of the pit, like all soot covered, like cartoons with like practically with like cartoon birds swirling around their heads. Because God forbid so we kill mad. a person. Yeah. But like. You're killing them off screen, right? Like, it's not like we're seeing their mangled corpses. Like, blow that car up. What are we? This is a canon movie. Why am I telling you this? Yeah, I was so. Because as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, this movie is not going to be what I hope it is. The only explanation I can think of is they just literally didn't get the shot and they didn't have another car. That makes sense. Like the explosives didn't go off right or something happened and they just didn't. They didn't have the shot. But I was so disappointed. See, but, like, here's an easy fix for that. Leave the car as is, shoot it blowing up there, and then just add a scene of John Cryer being like, and the grand finale, hit a button on his remote, then it explodes. Like, yeah, there are easy solutions that don't require reshoots. Yeah, yeah. Hire us Very to make your movies better. <laughs> um, This is also around the point where I started to realize, uh, A, are these going to, were these special effects good for the time? I don't think they were. And I was like, I don't know much of anything about Superman's mythos. Because I was like, is Lois Lane dating Clark or Superman? Or does she know it's both? This movie has a version of it where she has like sometimes amnesia, which is really confusing. He like neuralizes her a few times. Yeah, he does. That's a great, that's a great, basically Will, you know, Men in Black neuralizes her. But we go to like, Clark's running to make the subway and he doesn't get on the train and she gets on uh, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane gets on. Who's good, by the way. I like her quite a bit in this movie. The train takes off. The conductor immediately has a heart attack. And then did you notice that they looped the shot of the the people on the train station to make it look fuller? They looped a lot of shots in this movie. (laughs) But this one was egregious because I think it was a triple because the the only reason I noticed is because there was a woman in a very bright yellow coat in the front row. And so it was like, 
whoosh by wait another woman in yellow coat wait another woman in yellow oh it's a loop they're looping they had 25 extras and they made it look bigger this is why extras aren't allowed to wear flashy clothing yes exactly so superman changes in a phone booth flies down the tracks uh apparently this was the the first movie to include the phone booth really that seems crazy yeah i think i think i read that don't quote me what did, what did, have you seen the Henry Cavill yum yum delicious Superman movies? Does he change? Is there like I I saw Man of Steel, which I out and out hated. I never saw Superman Returns. That's Brandon Routh. Yeah. So Henry Cavill is or was Superman for the last two. So I saw the I saw Man of Steel, which like literally the third act of that effing movie takes place in an IHOP. I was so mad about the product placement in that movie. Like I'm not even, it's not even, I'm not even doing that as a bit. I'm going to shut up after a second, but the third act of that movie is literally Superman and Zod having a fist fight in an IHOP shortly after they have a fist fight where the seven 11 logo is perfectly placed between them. And it's just like, come on. Marvel was really, really bad about this. They've gotten a little better since like the, it's. I feel like for them, the logo, it's not big logos like that. It's like, he's clearly holding a Gillette razor, puts it down, camera lingers yes. a second too long. But it's not like a glowing neon 7-Eleven sign. Well, Gillette drove me crazy in the second Avengers movie because not only does Hulk shave with the Gillette razor and like hold the logo to camera and then the the shaving cream can is like tilted just so. And then he and Scarlet or what, what's her name? No, Scarlet Johansson. I, that's Scarlet. You were going to say Scarlet O'Hara. I almost said Scarlet O'Hara. I was like, no, the person, um, they have like a fight, like with a can of shaving cream between them, perfectly tilted to camera. But right after that, it cuts to Captain America and Iron Man having a powwow in the barn. And there is like a, 65 inch diagonal Gillette ad from like the fifties, like a tin sign mm-hmm. that is, the only thing in the barn that's polished and the, the big one with Marvel. And I, I apologize if this ruins things for everybody else, but no matter what condition the car's in, the front logo of them is perfectly shiny. Like the, the one with Nick Fury where he was getting battered in his car. I don't remember which of the movies it was, but one I of think them, it was he's like, civil war. He's like trapped in his car. Yeah. I think like it's trying civil war. There's like four shots where that thing comes into frame with the Chevy logo or the Ford logo or whatever it is. I don't even remember, which means it's bad product placement, but it's like directly in the middle of the screen for four seconds. Yeah. Riverdale used to be Riverdale season one was really bad about that. They had a had a brand deal with CoverGirl or Maybelline. And so there were several sequences where it was like a character was holding a compact awkwardly so that the logo was visible or like <laughs> lingering shot on the lipstick. Or then literally one character like named a specific shade of lipstick. And I was like, what are we doing here? (laughs) I have less of a beef if it's just like they're using Maybelline. But what you're describing drives me crazy. Yeah. If like if you're just going to use the if it's organic, I don't I don't mind organic product placement because it's a thing that just like happens in the world. I would much I would much rather characters sitting around drinking a beer, drink an actual beer and not a Heinzler. Like I would much prefer that. Yeah. But in uh, last last moment like this, but in. My favorite moment of that ever was in the new Power Rangers movie, which I was one of 20 people who liked, apparently. Um, I don't know how Elizabeth Banks chews every scene in that movie. She's living her best life. She's the best part of that movie. But apparently the like power crystal, whatever bullshit they needed was in the underneath a Krispy Kreme. 
And so, what a weird choice for product placement, Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. That's like that's like the third donut chain. Is it? You think? Well, I don't know. I guess Dunkin' Donuts is number one with a bullet. I don't know if there's another one, but it yeah. just seems like it just seems like a Carl's Jr. level. I don't know. Fast I feel like I feel like Krispy Kreme is what I think of first. But anyways, so someone, uh, the the nerdy ranger, tells Elizabeth Banks, you know, oh, the power cell is in the Krispy Kreme. And so for the next six minutes of the movie, Elizabeth Banks just goes, Krispy Kreme? Where is this Krispy Kreme? Does she, like, eat a bunch of donuts? She does line? later. No, because so, <laughs> so she's an alien. She's Rita Repulsa. She's an alien, so she doesn't know human stuff. So she doesn't know it's, like, a thing. So later there's a scene where she's literally sitting, like, standing in a Krispy Kreme, leaning on the counter with, like, a glazed donut on a napkin in her hand. <laughs> and she, like... <laughs> Casually just picks it up and eats it as the like Goldar is fighting the Megazord outside the window. <laughs> and she's like, Ooh, the hot light's on, and then drives Megazord <laughs> in. And they, like, they she, like park. She drives park Goldar Meg- up. To- yeah, they just like park real quick. Like, hold on, the hot light's on. I need a snack. <laughs> I want a dozen of the hot, fresh ones. Don't yes. sting me. Yes, and one extra on a napkin for eating now. That's the free one that I'm obligated to get? Yes, thank you for making it a baker's dozen. <laughs> anyway, we should stop talking about other movies and get through this one. So, Why? In answering your question about whether the effects were good at the time, almost every review that I found from the era was like, no, <laughs> these effects, even the effects stink in this effects movie. Ugh. Um, lo- I, so Margot Kidder kind of looks like a strung out Carrie Fisher, I find. Yes, a little bit. I, I buy that. Um, so the whole that's time not I- to downplay her like actual struggles with mental health and stuff later in her life. Like, no, just, not the, trying to make fun visually. Of her, but this, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm just clarifying so we don't sound like callous assholes. Yes, I will. I will never be the person to belittle or besmirch mental illness. Ao therapy. Ao SSRIs. What up? fam um i just in this movie i was like who does she look like and it it looks like carrie fisher after a rough couple of days yeah and this is where they introduce the second portion of the movie that shows up and disappears never to be seen again this child in school quick pin in that no he does come back two sec and then he but like it's not a character we're supposed to know it's not a character who main who remains throughout the film Yes, he does. He's the, like later. He sets the whole plot in motion when he what? goes to New York. That no, but like he he he's like I want to write to Superman, and then they like bring him to New York, and there's no resolution. There's no like he thanks. does the thing. There's no like thanks Superman. You you I was right. Oh, like, I guess so. there's no like yeah, he goes yeah. back to school because he's like all the kids make fun of me because I believe in you, Superman. There's no like resolution of he goes back to school because he literally. Gets made fun you, you of. Want, you want you want to see where the kid like kicks open the classroom door and is like doing crotch chops. Like, how about those nukes, motherfuckers? Uh, no, I want him to kick open the classroom door with a boombox on his shoulder. Click play of the Superman theme song, and he's just like, "Oh, what was that? Y'all thought I was stupid for saying Superman should get rid of all nukes. What just happened?" He like f- Superman has given him like a single Superman hair that he has under his tongue, and he like flips over the bully's desk and just throws <laughs> him out the window. Yeah, like I don't obviously not that, but like <laughs> I want that. I want I want that's that a much more entertaining movie. I want that, but like there was li- like so much time was spent being like 
he's a pathetic little kid and like everyone thinks he's lame for thinking Superman can solve this nuclear crisis. So he writes to Superman, then does solve the nuclear crisis, and there's no there's no going back and like acknowledging right. that happened. There's no like we check that box, but the movie doesn't say it. But also, you skipped one important thing and one stupid thing that I want to point out. So pause for one second. The first is after he stops the train from crashing, Superman goes in to check out the conductor, literally looks at the guy, touches his shoulder and comes out and is like, he's going to be fine. What you don't, did you do x-ray vision on his heart or something? Like it's, it's yeah. Like I know what it looks like when you do that. And I didn't see you do that. So I'm just like, well, wait a minute. And then he stops and he puts his hand on a firefighter. And I swear to God, this is the actual line in the movie. And he says, I want you to let these citizens know that our subways are still the most safe form of travel. And then he walks away. Like, what? What? Why is Superman the PSA guy for the MTA? What it's are we doing? So it's, it's, it feels like the New York paid for the, the part of this movie. Yeah, but they didn't because it was filmed in London. I like, know. Not even London, like the, the, the deep, deep suburbs of, of the UK. It reminds me of that, of that episode of 30 Rock when they try and make the horror movie in Connecticut. Yes, yes. So the other thing that happens is he goes to the Daily Planet where he works and the, okay, did you recognize Perry White? Who was that? The uh, editor of the, the the Daily Planet who wears the glasses, the older guy. He gets like fired in this scene and he has the no. triumphant return. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out who this dude is. It turns out he's like a very famous child actor. He was the youngest person ever nominated for an Oscar, although someone has since beat that. Oh shit! Um, but like, way he was in the studio system. Like, yeah, he got yeah he got loaned out for his fifty dollar a week salary, even though the studio that loaned him was making like twenty five grand a week. Like, real shady bullcrap. But I'm like, who is this guy? And I'm scouring Wikipedia as I'm watching the movie, and I can't figure it out. And I finally jump on IMDb, and I'm scrolling. He played the guy in the one episode of Murder, She Wrote that I've seen because we did it on this podcast. Oh, the big top murder of the big yes. top? <laughs> he was the he was the older guy. I don't think he was the murderer, but he was like maybe one of the victims. But he was in both parts of the episode. And I was like, oh, my gosh, of course, it's something stupid that we watched for the podcast. Of course it <laughs> is. Anyway, um, Muriel Hemingway a poster child for nepotism, if there ever was one, is she's the granddaughter of uh, Ernest Hemingway. Got it. Yeah. Uh, who cannot act her way out of a paper bag is... She the... reminds me of Kara... Um, I always call her Kara Deviled Eggs because I can never remember how to pronounce her last name. Devine? Devine? Delavine. Delavine. Yeah, yeah. She... She like she has the same sort of like heavy brow, like serious face structure and the same level of acting chops, I find. Yeah, she's she's not very good. But the whole deal is a tabloid newspaper has just bought the Daily Planet and Muriel Hemingway is going to be in charge of it now. And they immediately are like, uh, we should we should lie on the front page and talk about a crisis. And Superman's like, well, that's not true. And he's like, but it'll sell a lot of papers, kid. And I'm like, all right, look. Selling a lot of papers does not necessarily correspond with the newspaper doing well. 
newsstand sales, even in the time of this movie being made, were not really that strong of an indicator of a newspaper being healthy and vibrant. What really mattered was advertising. And yes, selling more papers ultimately led to more advertising, but it's a really roundabout way to get there. And oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking about this still, but come on. Every time a newspaper is in a movie, it's the same stupid thing of like, we'll sell a lot of papers. I was like, that doesn't matter. That does not matter. That's not a thing. That's not how this works. Headlines don't sell papes. Newsies sell papes. It's like, come on. Like, I understand. Like, it's dumb. It's stupid. Like, people cannot possibly think, even in the 80s, when a newspaper cost a quarter and the Sunday edition was 50 cents, would be like, oh, yeah, certainly 50 cents at a time is the ideal way to make a lot of money. (laughs) What? (laughs) What are you talking about? How many papers are you selling? There's only so many people in Metropolis. Is Metropolis supposed to be New York, too? Um, or is that Chicago? One of them is Chicago, and one of them is New York. And I think I never... Gotham is New York. Yeah, because Gotham is an actual nickname for New York. Yeah. So I think that Metropolis is Chicago. That's my. T- that I could be wildly off, but that's what I think it's supposed to be. But also in like the canon of DC movies, the current ones anyway, they're like two hundred yards from each other. <laughs> what? Really? Like yeah, yeah. They're like extru. They're v- v- it's like, it's like basically across the river from each other. Yeah, it's like Philadelphia and Camden, basically. <laughs> Which is a reference that's only going to land for some people, but I don't have that good of a grasp of geography. Garbage next to large. garbage. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so to what you said, this this they cut to this high school or this elementary school, and they're like, "We should write a letter to our congressman." And this kid's like, "No, I want to write a letter to Superman. We shouldn't be, uh, you know, afraid of nuclear arms. Let's get rid of all of them." And I was like, "A letter from an elementary school to either party is the same level of usefulness." <laughs> yes. So we cut to Muriel Hemingway straight up wearing David Byrne's suit from that Talking Heads, uh, that amazing Talking Heads concert film that I, the name of escaped me. Her jacket is a full 10 inches wider than her actual shoulders, like a good five inches on either side. She looks like an upside down triangle. (laughs) And she's trying to like pose herself on her desk to seem like confident and casual, but also sexy. Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. She's not wearing the big suit yet. She's wearing a big suit, but not the big suit. But yes, she is on the desk trying to... She, like, wants to get down with Clark Kent. Like, she wants to jump his bones. Yeah, she she totally wants to go to go to Bone Town with Clark Kent. And Lois keeps being like, hey, lady, don't do that. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it doesn't even seem, like, jealous interested. It seems like I'm, I'm Clark's friend. I know what he's into. It's not you, ma'am. Precisely. And so she tries to convince him that he should write a column that's like Metropolis after dark. And he's like, I go to bed at 1030. And she's like, well, now you're going to bed later than that, sonny boy. And like drawing on his chest with one finger. And he's like, uh, uh, I gotta get out of here. Yeah, it's it's very bizarre because Clark Kent, Superman as Clark Kent is always like, he like parts his hair the the, the, the nerdy way and like wears yeah. glasses. And he's like, I, I'm schlubby and I go to bed early. Your Superman is dangerously close to a Ray Romano. <laughs> Duh, bruh. <laughs> Why is there so much kryptonite in here? Ma! Stop bringing over spaghetti! I got my own wife now! Why is my brother always in my house? Hey, guys. There's just going? too many people here! I'm trying to write sports articles! <laughs> Ma, you make good spaghetti. I'm going to constantly side with my wife or, or my, my mother over my wife because that's not a good, that's a good sign of a healthy relationship. Ray. 
Anyway, uh, I just I just uh, saved we just saved was... we just saved you all eleven seasons of, of <laughs> Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> I think we just did. I think we just we hit every. They just recycled those same six plots over and over again. It was like a like like a Waterworld with Kevin Costner drinking his own pee. That's that's the <laughs> yeah. plot cycle. We're gonna get so that's two references now to what's her face. <laughs> From Everybody Loves Raymond. One was yes. your Acme, working at Acme, listener or talk story. <laughs> Yo, Patricia Eaton, that's Patricia right, Eaton. I forgot. Uh, I can't remember what episode that is, but if some, you say it a third, If we back. say it a third time, maybe we'll Beetlejuice her onto the show. <laughs> I don't know if she even has any 80s credits, I've never looked. But oh either. boy, I, Patricia Heaton shilling fried chicken at the Acme. <laughs> what is it, Chicken Tuesdays? Cheap chicken Mondays. Cheap chicken Mondays. <laughs> Which doesn't even, it's not even like alliterative. <laughs> oh, oh, God. In a British accent, it could be Tuesday. Hi, I'm Patricia Heaton. Go to hell. <laughs> you just <laughs> whip a knife at a speaker. Yeah, it was basically my life. I would just like storm into the back and start throwing things. Chicken Mondays. Because like anybody who works a retail job knows that like the soundtrack is very repetitive, but it's See, worse I when I tune it out. See, I guess I never heard. Re- I, so when I worked in Disney, I worked the rock and roller coaster and it was like only the, like the hit clips version of like 20 Aerosmith, like 15 Aerosmith songs. Right, right. Just so I just in one verse tuned it out. And then I'm working at a spa. It's just the same. It's just like gentle instrumental music that I always tune out as well. So like, I don't even think about it anymore. No, when I worked at Acme, it was like generic mom rock, like butt rock for mom. So it'd be like Nickelback, like Santana, like Santa, like th- like no classic rock, but nothing with any edge. So like no Zeppelin, no no ACDC. It would be like you know, and no not Aerosmith. Despair. Yeah, Aerosmith might be in there, but it'd be like your Bon Jovi's, your Santanas, your Beatles. Not that there's anything wrong with that music. Like there's plenty of those bands have songs that I like. But the worst part was the hourly check-in from Patricia goddamn Heaton, who would be, hey, it's Patricia Heaton. And, like, every time introducing yourself, why? Why? Who? who Hi, is, it's uh, me, Patricia Heaton, from Everybody like, Loves Raymond. First of all, no one knows what she sounds like that much. It could have been anyone just saying they're Patricia Heaton. And second of all, like, it's a... Why would you pay someone for their voice? Oh, I think it was it was Christmas. It was the One Magic Christmas, because we talked about... The manager making the announcements, and you yes, said it was Patricia yes, Heaton. Yes, yes, you're probably right. One Magic Christmas, one of my favorite episodes. Anyway, we got to start talking about Superman. No, we don't. Um, this movie sucks. <laughs> we got to get through this movie. So, um, oh, there's also Henry. a scene where they say uh, this, this museum is like, we have one lock of Superman's hair, and it's holding. It's up not a, a lock. It's a weight. single strand. Oh yeah, a single strand. I don't know where Superman's hair is this long, because as someone so, whose hair is styled similarly sometimes his hair is shorter than mine and i don't think one of my hairs could be long enough to tie around those things so it's not actually what's tied there when gene hackman cuts it with bolt cutters it's like this little clasp the gold part the hair is just what's between the gold parts it's not what's tied in the knot oh so i i because i was thinking the same thing and i and when he the way he picks it up i was Unless like oh. got a real bad back hair problem yeah, yeah, because it would be like a two-foot-long hair to, to tie this knot. So we cut to Soups at home, and Margot Kidder comes over, and they're, like, having this conversation back and forth. And 
it's like kind of a weird conversation where he needs help from her, but he can't explain the situation to her. And then he's like, you know what? You should just you should just come with me. And he grabs her by the hand and jumps off the building. And she thinks she's plummeting to her death. And then like halfway through, he supermans it up and saves her. And she remembers that she knows Superman and they have like a whole conversation. And then he does something. I don't know what. Well, they fly around the world. They basically they basically ride Soren in Disney World or Disneyland. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a moment of like. So in movie like in Mary Poppins or Bedknobs and Broomsticks, when people fly, it's two people flying for the first time. They're like holding hands and their arms are outstretched. And they're like, whoa. Like Aladdin on the magic carpet. Like that's sort no, of magic moment. I'm thinking more like people flying, not like on oh, something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I follow you. And so like in this scenario, Superman has the ability to fly and Lois Lane does not. But somehow she's, like, just holding his wrist, like, next to him, like, Peter Pan and Wendy, like, oh, this is fun. I'm like, how? What is your core strength, like, (laughs) Margot? Yeah, yeah. She should be underneath him being held with both hands. Mm -hmm. Or Or in, like, like a papoose. (laughs) (laughs) Like Wallace Shawn. Like Wallace Shawn in Princess Bride. Yeah. Or or just, like, Superman needs to wear an adult-sized baby Bjorn and have Margot Kidder, like, hop in. Or she she could saddle him. Yeah, back. yeah, that's that's an option. That's another option. It feels a little more wibbly wobbly. I would prefer the 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 papoose or the the uh, the, the baby Bjorn personally. Yeah. But so this kid's letter comes to the Daily Planet, which is apparently where Superman's fan mail is. Why does it go there? Because there's one line, and I'm sure they explain this in the other movies, but apparently Clark Kent is air quotes Superman's good friend. It's like it's, it's like. It's like his he's like he's a gay person in the in the seventies or eighties or like <laughs> and this dating. is Aunt, this is Aunt Darla and her really great friend Judith who's lived with her for seventeen years the really great friends welcome happy Thanksgiving and th- like he just is like oh yes or like the other proverbial like thing is like I couldn't stop thinking of is like the proverbial girlfriend in Canada where he's like oh I know Superman no he can't come to the party or anything because like he's busy. <laughs> But I know, I know, I know Superman. No, I like you've never you. I know him from like another thing. But you, yeah, it, he's cool. I promise, he's really cool. We like, as I went to a party that like Superman's friend threw, and like we were there together. It was, it was like cool. Like I, I don't want to bother him, but like I know him. Yeah, yeah. Like we, like I, sometimes I call him. Sometimes we te- we text more often. Really, yeah. So this letter comes and he's like, oh, I'm sure it's just a picture request. I'll get it. Uh, Muriel Hemingway like snatches it away, sees that this kid is like demanding Superman rid the world of nuclear arms and is like, oh, I bet we can make Superman the villain of this story. And they do like a splash page of like Superman denies kid who has simple requests to rid world of all nuclear weapons. They're like, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Simple request. This is not. This is not like my puppy is in a tree. Please help. This is like a real actual Political problem. We're global political problem. Yeah, like Superman does not typically wade into geopolitical nightmares such as this. Yeah, and so it's this like w- weird smear campaign, and then so Superman flies to his fortress of solitude, but in his mind, yeah, and he's like, "What am I supposed to do? I can't interfere in human affairs." And I was like, "What do you call what you've been doing?" All you've been doing is interfering in human affairs. Right. It's like he has this code of he can intervene on the small scale, but not the big scale. Like the idea being you can't change the 
global path of history, but you can change it on the you know the micro level. Okay, well, again, it's butterf- dumb. I'm going to say butterfly effect here. Yeah, like- no, agreed. Like, if Margot Kidder should have died on that train, what does that mean? Absolutely. You're not wrong. But so they have Jimmy Olsen, like, shooting a picture of this kid at a hot dog cart, and then Superman just, like, whooshes into the frame and is like, hello, citizen. Might I join you in walking into the United Nations? And he, like, walks this kid in and is like, oh, my God, it's Superman. Superman's here. Guys, it's Superman. The kid gets, like, no dialogue, by the way. Like, I thought this kid was going to be important or, like, he was going to get kidnapped and, like, Superman was going to have to – like, there was going to be – I thought this kid was going to be crucial to the plot. Right. He is not. Instead, what happens is they walk into the lobby of the UN and Superman is like – well, Timmy, do you think you could go wait in the gallery for the rest of the movie and I'll catch up with you in the next movie, maybe? And he's like, sure, Superman. And he goes walking out of the movie forever. And Superman goes to address the UN where everybody is like splooshing that Superman is there. Like they're all so excited to see Superman. I mean, he's handsome. No, he is. I just it's just so silly. And then the other thing that bothers me and like I know this is stupid, but it always feels weird to me when you see UN scenes in movies that they always happen to pick countries with like really colorful clothing and like traditional Ghanaian clothing is very colorful. And so it's like an accurate representation of Ghana, but it doesn't feel like they were trying to be accurate. It feels like they were just like shoving these people in there. I don't know. It just feels weird to me. I agree. And again, it's like that scene in the rescuers when they're all just like wearing Epcot costumes. Right. Cause it's not like, like, the the big scene in Black Panther is based on actual cultures representing a fictional society, but it's done in a sort of a respectful way, whereas this doesn't feel respectful to me. I don't know if you think I'm crazy, but... No, like, I, can, I can get behind that. It doesn't... It doesn't feel... It feels token-y, I guess yes. is what I'm trying to say. Okay. It does. It feels like, like, well, we got some costumes in storage. Yeah, yeah. And, and they just, you know, stick a couple actors in there. Anyway, Superman gives his big speech, and he's like, hey, look... I'm going to get rid of all nuclear weapons. It's time for this. Feels like not a thing you can just decide. Like, that's not. Yeah, no. How do you get everyone to agree to that? Well, they don't agree because they all start trying to launch nuclear weapons and he just catches them and takes them into the space. Oh, I thought somehow I thought I like missed an implication that like that's how they were getting rid of them. Like launch them up and I'll collect them. Oh, I guess that could be it. I got the impression that like some like of this an was amnesty gun program. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, hey, if we could realistically implement a plan where Superman comes down and picks up all the nukes and gets rid of them, I'm on board. Just FYI. Oh, yeah. I'm not mad about that. <laughs> I just, but, I'm talking about the practicality of such. Yeah. Well, especially because he has like a giant space net and he collects all these They're all in missiles. a net like tuna yes. fish. It's like yes. that scene in Finding Nemo. It is. And he just does like a spinning hammer throw like Mrs. Trunchbull and, and launches this bag full of nukes into the sun, which like- Feels like a bad thing. It doesn't seem good that the sun would get a bunch of nukes thrown into it. Like, I know it's basically... Mr. Space Science, help me out here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what this would work, but it just doesn't seem good. But the other thing is... I feel like we'd lose Mars, at the very least. Something bad happens if you throw, again, a, a bag full of nuclear weapons into the sun. It just doesn't seem good. Meanwhile, Gene Hackman rounds up three, like, D-list Batman villain guys. One of them is Jim Broadbent, mister. No, I mean the characters. Like, one of them is, like, a a crooked general. One of them is a fat billionaire. The other one, I don't even remember. He's he's, he's on the black market. 
But he's like, yeah, you guys are. He's the, the manager of a White House black market. Yes. <laughs> he's like, look, you guys are these evil dudes. You do all these nuclear weapons. You let me get involved. I got this nuclear man I'm going to create out of this hair. Don't worry about it. Science. I'm, you just let me put a hair in one of your missiles and I'll take care of the rest. And they're like, all right. That seems pretty like it seems weird, but okay. Yeah, like, is this like a fetish for you or something? Like, you know what? We're we're good. We don't need to know. So we cut to Hackman and John Cryer. What is John I, Cryer's voice, by the way? Is it supposed to be California? I think he's supposed to be like a dumb Californian, like Valley Girl style. Because it kind of reminds me of that stupid SNL skit sketch, the um The Californians. Yeah. The way he talks is very like, ooh. I was in college during those years and I really didn't watch SNL in college just because I didn't have DVR and and a million other reasons. So I missed that sketch. And so every time they do like a reprisal of it, I'm like, this is really bad. Like, this is so deeply unfunny to me. Like there's no nostalgic value and I don't care for it. So it just, it just stinks all the way down for me. I think it's one of those things. Like if you know, California people from California, that's just how they talk. No, I get the joke. I just don't think it's funny. And the sketch is always like eight minutes long of them being like, so I took the 405 to the 912 to the 11. To the, and I'm like, I get that they all speak in roads, but make a joke. Just one joke, please. I, know, but I think that joke is a joke to some people. Please, sir. I want it. I want a joke. I want to chuckle. Please, sir. Please, please don't t- say another road number, please, sir. That's me. When I see that sketch. Um, so Hackman gets into a, 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 a military installation somehow and is wearing like a uniform with like a pocket full of flags and, and brass. And they're, he like yells at this kid and makes him launch a nuclear missile, even though he's definitely not supposed to. So Superman catches it and throws it into the sun um, immediately. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I skipped the part I wanted to talk about because you started talking about John Cryer. There's a scene with him and John Cryer where they're like, fabricating the the genesis of nuclear man and it's just a bunch of different sized vials with colored liquid with dry ice dropped in them so they're bubbling away and i really did love it so much and then they take what looks what i'm pretty sure is like a piece of like a skinned octopus tentacle that's all curled up on itself and they're like we're gonna put this jet this is this is tissue sample and i was like Uh how did we get that yeah i think it's gene had a tissue sample because it's it's his voice later Oh, maybe. And then they put scraps of pa- of fabric in there and they're like, yeah. don't worry, it'll become a full suit. And it's like, yeah. I don't understand this. Sure. Okay. Whatever you say, kids. So they launch this thing into the sun. Superman launches things. Superman throws in the sun. Nuclear man arrives. Uh, and Instantly. Yes. Uh, played by an actor named, I swear to God, Mark Pillow who was a Chippendales dancer. So uh, the MO of the canon film people comes comes through again. Yeah, he he looks like a gay go-go dancer, that, but on like, like for the Tuesday night shift. Like he's he, not the A squad. He also kind of reminds me, like from the side anyway, of do- like a dollar store version of Sting, the musician, oh, not the wrestler. I was going to say Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it might be. A little the- Dolphy. It, it, but if it's Dolph Lundgren, it's like the marked down items at the Dollar Tree. It's the Spirit Halloween. Yeah, it's the four. It's the four for a dollar items at the Dollar Tree. <laughs> it's like the leftover Halloween candy that's still there in December. 
There it's those it's those little peanut butter taffies that are wrapped in the brown or the uh, black and orange wax paper. Oh, I forgot those existed. Yeah, they're like you could get you get ten bags of these for a dollar, and everyone's still like, "Nah, I'm good. You could, <laughs> I'm fine. You could throw those away." Uh, so yes, Mark Pillow, the Chippendales dancer, comes in, and his voice is Gene Hackman's, which is so strange. I think he either. Uh, I think he had a terrible voice. That's that's got to be it. Yes. Well, because in or maybe he like ha- just had a very thick accent, like how Arnold Schwarzenegger. They yeah. almost dubbed him for the first Terminator, and then they made that joke in what like Terminator Seven. We're still making them guys. The other thing I could I thought of was like maybe Gene Hackman got paid twice. Oh, that's probably he was like, look, guys, you, I need to get paid. Otherwise, they're I'm not like, coming back to this piece of shit. They're like, we can't pay you that much as one salary, but if you're willing to do a voice and be two characters, we will pay you two salaries. And read 11 lines of dialogue. Yeah. And they're like, this way it's on the books as two different people, and it helps us shovel the money around. <sighs> <laughs> so he he speaks to Gene Hackman, the, the the nuclear man does. Then he spins John Cryer around, and then we learn that he needs sun power to function, and Gene Hackman, like, uses a reflective piece of jewelry. He literally, like, takes two steps into shadow and collapses. And I was like, this is some Lion King bullshit. Yes. Um, also, apparently, in reading about this movie, there was supposed to be a nuclear man who died and then reconstituted and was more powerful, but they cut that entirely for the fi- final released version. So that's why this is like so choppy. Thank God though. I feel like all you have to do is throw a wool blanket over, over nuclear man and he's down for the count. Yeah, assuredly that would be a very simple solution. There's also a little moment of um, Clark being Clark in a gym with Lacey or what's her name? Her actress name. Uh, Muriel Hemingway is the actress. Muriel Hemingway. And I like the, and he's in a full sweatsuit and everyone else is in like 80s workout gear. So like, like underbutt is out, side boob is out and he's in a full sweatsuit. And I was like, I like, I want more of this idea that Superman has to wear like full outfits to the gym whenever he goes. Otherwise people will see he's ripped and he has to like pretend he's weak and doesn't know what he's doing. I don't think Superman's ripped because it's the 80s. I think he's just super strong in like a normal person looking body. But I do love how he has the towel like rolled around his neck underneath the sweatshirt. So he looks like he's padded out. Yeah. And then later he like casually tosses a like what's supposed to be like a 300 pound weight at some guy. Yeah, I did like that very much. Um, Meanwhile, or not meanwhile, but we then cut to like Muriel Hemingway and Margot Kidder are like having Superman and Clark Kent over for some sort of dinner date. This 80s, 90s, two dates to the same dance sitcom plot <laughs> didn't have to be here. I was, I'll be honest, this is my favorite sequence of the movie though. Like it's, I agree with you 100%. This, there's no reason to have literally a Disney sitcom plot of like, oh my gosh, uh, I forgot something and run out the door and come back in in a different costume. Like, I don't understand why that's here, but Christopher Reeves does a really good job with it. And I like how insane it is that he's like jumping out of windows to change and like, you know, flying around. He de- He's super, He I do appreciate how much he commits, but there's a few moments of like teleportation. And like, as far as I know, that's not one of Superman's abilities. Right, right. But yeah, he's like, for some reason, I guess just to like give himself an excuse to leave as he's being interviewed by uh, Margot Kidder, she's like, 
oh, I, I'm roasting a duck for us to have dinner later. And he does like x-ray vision, heat vision to make the duck cook faster. But the duck looks like raw at the point that he does it. And it like, does. Roasting a duck is like a 90 minute endeavor, probably. Like a chicken takes about an hour. A duck's probably a little bit longer to render all that fat. Like, what are you, what are you doing, Margo? You did not put this duck in at an appropriate time for this dinner date. Like, how long does this interview go, do you think? I don't, maybe, maybe an hour, because it feels like it's an interview, but also like fun with like a friend night. Yeah, but he uses his heat vision to like cook the duck, at which point she's like, oh my gosh, something's burning. And she runs away to check on it. He comes back in in different clothes. She comes out and it's like, oh my gosh, this duck is perfectly roasted. It's like, well, why did you think it smelled like it was burning then? Because that is, if you thought you smelled burning, it was not a perfectly cooked duck. So he also does a real great bit where he knocks over a table and a phone and he he inexplicably picks up the phone receiver and is like, hello? Nobody's there. And, and puts it on the table. And I was like, you knocked it off the table. What are we doing here? He, he I have to say, as annoying as it is because he's so handsome and, and hunky, he does really good for fumbling nerd with no social skills. Oh, I, like I said, I think he's genuinely great as both Clark Kent and Superman. I think he's, even in this trash, trash, trash movie, he is a bright spot. I wonder... I think it would be interesting to hire two different people, like one to play Clark Kent, one to play Superman. Yeah, I mean, I think and part like, of the charm is that it's the, just the glasses thing. Yeah, I guess, but I, I feel like I want to see, like, 80s Rick Moranis play Clark Kent. Okay, who is going to believe that Rick Moranis becomes Clark Kent unless it's, like, a Mr. Marvel or whatever that character's name is? Shazam? Oh, Shazam. Mostly I just want to see more Rick Moranis. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't think people are going to buy that one necessarily. So there's kind of a cool scene where Lex Luthor hacks a panel in what's supposed to be Times Square, I guess, and is like, hey, Superman, don't worry. Only you can see what I'm saying here. I'm about to destroy the world. Come and get me. <laughs> yeah, it's basically that the Coca-Cola billboard. Yeah, yeah. Spot. So Superman like jumps into the building and uh Lex Luthor's there, and he's like, well, there's no bomb here, because you wouldn't be here if there was. And then, nuclear man, it's like, the, like, the lights dim and start flashing, and it's like, by God, that's nuclear man's music! And he comes out, and he starts, like, unzipping his, like, unitard, and Lex Luthor's like, no, 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 no! Not that, not that, not that! And he, like, quickly takes off those little cuffs and drops the bow tie. Yeah. Um... He also, there's actually kind of a neat effect where he's like, his feet are so hot, he's literally melting his boot prints into the floor. I did like that. So they have a big dumb fight, and it like, they end up fighting around the world, basically, and like, a volcano starts going off in Italy, and it's like, 1950s era special effects where it's a, a, a miniature with like, slow rolling jello pouring over it to be the lava. It's straight up the blob from 1958, where it's just yeah. like slowly oozing which i kind of like but also even at the time would have been hokey like i like it from a cheesy b-movie kind of standpoint but this is not a you know superman is not a cheesy b-movie at this point it shouldn't be but again it's like soaring over california where they are soaring over around the world they're like we're gonna fight in yeah i'm he's he's like i'm gonna set off a volcano and then nuclear man goes into a clearly completely in shadow volcano crater yes and is somehow able to use his powers. So, inconsistent check. Then they fly back to New York City and nuclear... Oh, and they destroy the Great Wall of China. And Oh, yes, they do. They do. There was supposed to be a scene where Superman fixes the Great Wall 
and they were going to like speed it up and look like super fast. Yeah. They didn't have the budget for that. So they just took the wall apart brick, like brick by brick and then played it in reverse. And they were like, Superman has the rebuilding magic. <laughs> That's really funny. Nuclear man grabs the statue of Liberty and is flying with it. And then Superman, like, it basically does like a basketball steal of it and is like, nope, and starts doing a fast break the other way. Well, he throws the Statue of Liberty at Times Square and everyone lo- stops and looks up at it and doesn't move. Like, what are we doing, guys? I mean, I will say there's a realistic thing of like being paralyzed by fear. That's a thing that happens to people. If the Statue of Liberty came soaring in while I was standing in Times Square, I don't know that I'd initially be like, run and be like, is that the statue? Splat. That's probably <laughs> the sequence of events. <laughs> Um, and Cloverfield totally ripped it off later anyway, so, you know, th- we we know that now. Superman forwarded it first. <laughs> um, so, Nuclear Man scratches it with his claws that are, like, magic and spangly, and gives Superman some kind of nuclear disease, basically. And then there's this dramatic moment where Superman's cape comes, like, tattering down from the sky. It's really very stupid. It was, like, hinted at earlier when um, Gene Hackman was like, he'll be made of radiation and be able to scratch and actually hurt Superman and take him out of commission. And I was like, that's a weird bleak. Yeah. Like, if you really dig down, that's bleak. Yeah. And they gave, they gave radiation, nuclear man, like long like drag queen fingernails that grow every time he uses his unclear powers yeah and then superman and clark kent both disappear and lois comes into the office and muriel hemingway like has superman's cape and they have this big fight and she steals it from her and comes storming out of the office and she gets fired and then the guy's like you should also fire that clark kent muriel hemingway's like well no hold on a second She's like, I'm going to stand up to you, father, and be a good guy, apparently, because this movie is sure. I do want to jump those bones, so I'm going to have to not fire him, if you don't mind. So then she runs after Lois Lane, and she's like, hey, sorry about that. Have you heard from Clark? Yeah. (laughs) And so she goes to check on him. And so this is the part of the movie that, like, was driving me crazy, because this is so much more interesting if instead of... Clark having this magic crystal from the beginning of the movie, he's instead like in the throes of radiation sickness, hallucinating even. And he hears his mother's voice being like, this pod is the last vestige of power for all of Krypton. And you could use it one time only like the same exact speech. If it comes to him in a fever dream and he has to like make way his way to, to Smallville without his powers, it's so much more interesting. And you could have like, the road trippy part of like Lois Lane and Clark Kent in a car, him being like, you have to take me to Smallville. I'm really sick. And the only thing that can help me is there. It's like an actually interesting movie. Yeah. He should have radiation man should have been right out the gate and gotten him. But there's an opportunity for so much more interesting things to happen. If you do it that way. I agree. I think there's this movie had a lot of opportunities that were squandered. And that's not even like, not only does that still take you to Smallville like you wanted, you don't have to have an inconsequential nonsense scene where he's like playing baseball for no reason. There's like actual stakes at, at you know, to the scene and having to get there and do the thing. Yeah, this movie is just full of sequences where they could have been cut, but they just needed a 90 minute runtime. 
But that's the thing is like, I don't even necessarily want you to cut the part where you go to Smallville. I just want you to put it into the movie where it gives some stakes to the movie. Like Superman has to confess to Lois Lane and tell and trust her with this secret and decide that like, you know, their relationship, what, cause it's kind of quasi romantic, but not really is like, no, like you have to tell her the truth and you have to like make this big confession to her. And then you have to ask her for help and she has to put herself out there to help you. And meanwhile, nuclear man could be chasing them or nuclear man could be wreaking havoc. Well, and he's especially like, because he's already, there's already been a scene in the movie where he's decided to trust her with this information and then neuralized her, but she right. reacted well to it. So it could have been that moment of like, Hey, we're going to remove this spell. Right. And then you, you, you could even have them like listening to the radio where it's like, this evil man has destroyed another city. Where's Superman? Superman, we need your help. Like there's, a way to like put a ticking clock in there to raise the stakes. And then you have an actual movie instead of just an odd collection of scenes that somebody vomited onto a page. I agree. I very much agree. Uh, but it drives and- me crazy because it's just such a simple fit. Like it's literally just taking a scene and moving it from act one to act three and you've made a better movie. Like all you had to do was a very small change. Mm-hmm. But I think that would have implied they needed budget for um, traveling and they didn't. Right. So Lex Luthor, there's a really fun scene where he's like counting this absurd pile of money that's so big you can't see it behind <laughs> he's it. He's like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. And then he's like, they're like, we're going to give you a race. And he's like, oh, no, I'm taking all of the, everything. You're all fired. Go to hell. And then they're like, wait a second. And he holds up a $100 bill and has Nuclear Man set it on fire in his hands. And these other two, three dudes just go running away. He doesn't respect money. Let's get out of here, gang. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Scooby-Doo feet. Um, so Superman is rapidly aging, but he has the magic crystal that he got for no reason at the beginning of the movie. So he just like holds it and is like, I have the power. And then suddenly is Superman full boat again, full bore again. Yeah. And then we cut to nuclear man looking at uh, Muriel Hemingway, her photo in the newspaper and falling in love with her because that sure so apparently this was part of the thing that got cut, like the first nuclear man had a bunch of scenes with her, and so they had to like quickly figure it out once they had fired that actor as nuclear man and were going oh. with this guy instead. Yeah. This is also the okay. only sequence of the movie I really like. There's some fun effects where like there's a SWAT team van spinning around in the air and people getting tossed around. It's kind of stupid, but fun. Yeah, well, this is where I wrote, what exactly are nuclear man's powers, terrible editing, and recycled shots? Yeah, really. It's it's a lot of a lot of recycled shots of this. Like there's a scene there's a moment where he like pushes a policeman over the hood of his police car and there are other policemen standing in front of it and then they cut to nuclear man and cut back to the police cars and there's suddenly there's no one there and the right. cars all it's it's clearly just the cars driving up shot but in reverse. Yeah. And then there's a flash cut to the cars way farther back than they were blowing up. Yeah. It's so sloppy. Yeah, it is very sloppy, but the car explosions were kind of cool. I like car explosions, but, like, don't be sloppy. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's a mess. And then he and Superman start having a fight, and they end up, like, they fly to the moon, and they're having, like, a really, really bad pro wrestling fight. Like, the way that pro wrestling- it's in slow motion. Yes. It's the way pro wrestling is represented in, like, really bad sitcoms. Like, like if there's an episode of- um, 
if there were an episode of like Friends or Seinfeld when they went and they went to a wrestling match, the the wrestlers would be doing these like exaggerated slow mo kicks and punches and throws, and that's what it looks like. Like there's a big scene where Superman knees him in like the midsection and throws him, and it genuinely looks like half speed, like them walking through the fight. It's so weird, but gotta pad that runtime, man. So Nuclear Man gets the upper hand and plants Superman in the sand like John Candy in Summer Rental and just like buries him. Although not just up to his neck, he buries him fully. And then he starts attacking the planet. And then Superman does a Jason Voorhees out of his planet. His no, space grave. he flies down, picks up Muriel Hemingway, pushes her father away and flies her into outer space. And somehow she's able to survive in outer space. That's right. That's right. Yes. She doesn't instantly become just like a, a, a husk of a human. Or... or not be able to breathe at all. Right. But then I think somehow nuclear man goes into the shadow. No Superman. So that's what I'm saying. Superman comes out of the grave, like Jason Voorhees and then pushes the moon in front of the sun to create an eclipse and make nuclear. man lose his powers. I missed that. Yeah. And then, uh, Muriel Hemingway, who's magically surviving space gets like grabbed by Superman and he spikes nuclear man into a nuclear reactor back on earth where he like blows up. And then suddenly like every light in the city just magically turns on for no reason and gets brighter. Like he powers the city now, I guess. Right, right. Smash cut to the daily planet where Perry white is like taking down the tabloid sign and reestablishing the old school daily planet logo. And the guy's like, what's the meaning of this? And he's like, well, I've written about a lot of hostile takeovers. So I just went out and bought every outstanding share, which makes me the majority shareholder and you the minority one, which means you're fired. We're back to the daily planet, everybody. And then there's like hooting and hollering. Where does he get all this money? Cause I feel like that's a lot of money. To spend. He says that he goes around town and because he has such a stellar reputation as a proper newsman, every bank, in town gave him a loan it's like a very it's a wonderful life george bailey I was gonna say it's, it's a wonderful life yeah it really is he's like all the banks in town heard about what you were doing and they don't want that they want our old daily planet back with a guy like me in charge so now i own it yeah because they want you to not make any money right exactly uh Meanwhile, Superman gives a press conference about how, like, the day is saved and everything's fine now. And Gene Hackman and John Cryer are getting away in this, like, really ridiculous... What are they wearing? What are they driving? Why are they Cousin Eddie? It's a it's a very cool roadster with that, like, old-school back seat that was, like, a fold-up thing, like a jump seat. Mm-hmm. That, it's a cool-looking car, but... They're like getting away and he's like, we'll lay low for like four years and then come back. And it's like, yeah, okay, buddy. You think you're setting up a sequel again, but I promise you, you're not. And Superman gets underneath their car somehow and lifts it up, which is genuinely impossible. This movie is too slapsticky. Yeah. But no, but it doesn't but go full slapstick. Exactly. It's also not slapsticky enough, which is a weird conundrum, but also the truth. And he drops uh, John Cryer off in... Boys Town, which yeah. just sounds like a gay resort. Like, it's actually a real thing. I I read that, but yeah. it doesn't doesn't stop the fact that Boys Town sounds like you should play that like Girls Gone Wild steel drums music. Also, shouldn't be a place run for a name of a place run by priests. I mean, just I mean, putting it out there. And then he redelivers Lex Luthor back to the prison where he was held before, and I'm like. Now, hold on a minute. We do have due process. You don't just like, it's not just like you fly him back into jail, open the cell, and are like, right back where you came from, dummy. It's like, no, like, I, I, get, I get that he was a prison escapee, but additional charges need to be filed. 
Yeah, but he needs to be in jail while they're processed. Because he says, he says, I'll see you in 20 years. And it's like. And they he, do. But he tried to destroy the planet. That's not a 20 year sentence. Leave no, him in there to I, rot. He literally, they, they, it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They didn't see each other again for 20 years. Was it 2007? Six. Oh, maybe it was 19 years, but it was close. Okay. Uh, also, yeah. John Cryer plays Lex Luthor in the Supergirl TV show. Oh, that's interesting. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's on purpose. Oh, yeah. Uh, final thoughts on Superman 4? It's bad, but like with a cocktail, it'd be fine. Yeah, I, it's it's nonsense. And the part that we didn't really talk about is like the there's no attempt made at any point to make it cohesive and form like an actual plot to a movie. God, no. It's just random things that happen. And like, yeah, they kind of build to one another, but not really. Like they just sort of stack in that way. So it's really like it's not a. T- I found it really interesting reading about how on multiple lists this has been listed as like worst movies of all time. And not to sound like a snobbish dickhead, but like I think y'all need to watch more movies if this is the worst movie you've ever seen because like I mean it's completely incoherent. It is, but this is like I don't think this even cracked the top ten of the worst movies we've done for this show. Not even worst movies I've seen in my life. Yeah, well, I feel like we did another one. It was like a sequel, a late sequel, where it was just complete gobbledygook and incoherent. And I can't I mean, remember what it the is. The Police Academy one is like that. Maybe it was no. But this is like remember. this is significantly more entertaining to watch than like Parasite 3D. That's true. You know, this is this is more fun than the Purple People Eater to do a recent one that this is better than. Like I would, I, I would absolutely watch this again before I watch Purple People Eater. You know. So That's it's, true. it's, you know, there, there are many bad movies out there, but it's just, this one stinks, but it is not offensive to me as opposed to some of the other things we've done where I'm like, well, this is actively offending my sensibilities. Revenge of Michael Myers is probably worse. I'm just scrolling through some old episodes here. Mac and oh, me you know, is it was, probably I was worse. thinking of, I was thinking of Halloween five. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of, which isn't what we covered because we can't. No, we've done Halloween five. We haven't done Halloween six. That's what I'm, I think. I'm thinking. I think I'm thinking of six, where the studio just like ruined it and cut it up completely. Yeah, I mean, Death Wish four is worse than this for sure. To go back to previous uh. February, yeah, I'm just trying to, to you know, scroll back to some other stuff. But anyway, um, I also didn't care for this. I, I'm I'm gonna say I I'm gonna say I don't recommend this just because it it's not offensive, but there's just no reason to watch this. There's nothing. Uh, about this that's going to be really exciting for you or, or really grab you i would say you could totally totally skip this one yeah it's it's a skip but like if you want a particularly bad superhero movie sure yeah, yeah if you're looking to find a really bad super, superhero movie that's watchable this is a good one um we should play everybody's favorite new game show canon or canon with this one i think i know where we're both going canon or canon <laughs> All right, Canon or Canon? You're on the clock, sir. Canon. I'm going to say Canon. Yeah. A, a, a soft, soft, soft recommend. And really? a hard reject. You're you're keeping this bad boy, huh? Yeah, I don't again, I don't think it's offensive. I think it's gobbledygook and, and nonsense, but like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't immediately change the channel if it was on. I think Superman should hit this into space with a baseball bat. Yeah. 
thank you all so much for listening to the show. As we said up top, don't forget to check us out at patreon.com slash dissecting the eighties. It's where you can find uh, all our cool rewards tiers, get some bonus episodes and the bag of soup Sentinel, our monthly newsletter, plus some other really fun content. Uh, find us on Facebook at, at dissecting the eighties and on Twitter at dissect the eighties. Feel free to write into our mailbag or our mailbox rather with uh, dissecting the eighties at gmail.com. Although if you wanted to ask a question, we might read it on the air. That might be a thing. If we got some reader questions, we'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Um, most importantly though, if you're looking for a free way to support the show, write a review, uh, particularly on iTunes is where it helps the most. But if you write it elsewhere, just send us a screenshot and we will read them. I have a few here from the podcast Republic app that I had not seen until today. So apologize. Some of these go back to back, uh, September, uh, this five stars from S U N D a, uh, super fun. Thank you. Uh, KB and other five stars, hilarious, surprisingly thoughtful takes on somewhat lesser known eighties media. Uh, this one's from Matt, another five stars. Love this show. If you love eighties TV and film, check this out. Uh, we've got Jonathan Roberts. This podcast is by far my favorite bi-weekly podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Find a couple movies you've seen and you won't be disappointed. Siblings are some of the best podcasters. I agree. Love the mob impressions. Well, we do too. Thank you, Jonathan. It's interesting that John, that someone named John Roberts says he loves our mom impression because John Roberts plays Linda on Bob's Burgers. Oh, that's funny. Maybe it's actually him. I would die. <laughs> actual <laughs> John Roberts. Uh, no offense. Creator to, of the Christmas tree. No offense to non-voice actor john roberts if that's you but if you are voice actor john roberts uh hit us up uh, as well and lastly from keith uh great podcast you guys got to do a show about night of the comet very 80s uh maybe that'll be something down the road for uh listener request month which i'm not supposed yeah. to talk about yet but oops cats out of the bag stay tuned uh <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening to the show. February continues in two weeks with the kind of sort of part four thing that we're going to do a little bit of stretching to justify, but it is the incredible Hulk returns, which is a television film. So we're going to be diving into the universe of the Bill Bixby, incredible Hulk. I'm excited to see what that looks like, especially in the latter stages when probably the budget wasn't quite up to snuff. So thank you again for our show. Yes. No, exactly. Not common for us at all. Uh, Thank you so, so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, This is the fourth February, fifth February. Four. We started in August. So yes. So 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. This is the fifth February. Oh, shit. We did it the first year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. So uh, assuming that's true, I'm going to scroll through here very quickly. While we I think that. so, because we did the one with the whales in our yes, first year. Yes, we did. That's right. We did. We did. So yeah, this is the 5th February. This is uh, uh, pretty unbelievable that they're, we're on the 10th. We're coming up on the 10th <laughs> Part 4 sequel. And only at the 10th one are we fudging it a little bit. I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you all uh, so much for listening to the show. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until February 25th. Don't you forget about me. The section in the 80s is sponsored by the Podcast Public App. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. <laughs> uh, things we're going to cut out in editing. <laughs> he puts on the glasses and that's how the world sees him. He takes them off and he's like, Mother. Yeah, he should have, Radiation Man should have been right out the gate and gotten him.
Is it the fucking purge? Is it the goddamn purge? Unless... Unless all the Wawa's near me are on fire. There is no need for all of this. Hullabaloo. There are three Wawa's within a... Within a half a mile radius of me. Yeah, that's the fifth time now. Well, you're going to actually have something for the uh, outro this time.